Hey guys, welcome to the second interview in our six part series with Launch Factory. Uh, in this interview, I, um, uh, I talked with James Hereford. He's the co-founder uh, and a partner at Launch Factory. He also uh, is essentially the chief operating officer. Um, so he's involved in the day-to-day -day management of Launch Factory, as well as advising the portfolio companies on managing the day-to-day uh, -day operations. Um, so this is a really interesting interview and we get into a lot of details um, that we sort of started with in the first interview with Brad Chisholm. Um, so uh, I think this is definitely a, a, a good listen and uh, a good way to sort of learn about Launch Factory. Uh, having said all of that, if you have any questions uh, after the first interview with Brad or after this interview with James, uh, my, my contact information, my email address is on screen. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email or our contact information is also on the page. So you can click on any of the links there and get in touch with us. Um, we also have our LinkedIn uh, uh, um, uh, profiles linked uh, to this interview. So you can always uh, connect with us through that platform. Um, having said all of that, let's get into the interview. So James, thank you so much for spending your uh, next little bit with me and uh, um, uh, you know coming on the show with me. Um, I want to explore Launch Factory, and I know you play a key role uh, in the company, um, and uh, you guys have been doing tremendous work all through 2019 and 2020, putting a lot of systems in place, and I know you're sort of the point person for that. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let's start with a quick bio, and I want to understand your background. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Of course. Well, thank you for having me today. Uh, in terms of my background, I... See here. I studied physics in undergrad at the University of Oklahoma, and when I finished that, I moved down to Houston and spent several years in the seismic industry, which is very far upstream oil and gas, where they're looking for oil and gas deposits. Uh, during that time, I spent about three years as an engineer and another two and a half or so as a project manager, and eventually I decided I wanted to, to do something different. So I went back to school at Rice University and got my MBA. And after that, I spent some time at Chevron as a strategy and planning analyst and renewable energy economics analyst. Nice. After roughly three years there, I actually got a call from Brad Chisholm, and yeah. he said, you know, my, uh, my startup has just been acquired by a company that may or may not start with a G. Do you want to move <laughs> to San Diego? And uh, so that, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up at Google. And so I came out here to San Diego, and we spent uh, about 18 months on that project. And eventually, when it was shut down, I moved into a chief of staff role for um, a... Uh, called uh, an engineering division called Tech Eng, which dealt with all of the technology subsystems in Google's hardware products. So battery, wireless, audio, camera, sensors, all of those subsystems were, were put together by our group. And so in 2018, I got another call from Brad Chisholm, <laughs> and he said, you know, I, I know you like Google, but I'm starting this new company, and I'd really like you to come down and start it with me. And one thing led to another, and in November 2018, we formed Launch Factory. Fantastic. That's great that you know you have that kind of pedigree and uh, work experience, not only working in oil and gas, but also working at a uh, tech giant. Uh, so sort of understanding that mindset 
that's fantastic. And so uh, let's continue the story a little bit further. So 2018, you know, you team up with Brad, you guys launch, uh, launch, launch factory, but start launch factory. Um, what was the first sort of mindset? What, what did you guys want to achieve? Uh, what was the mission? So I think our overall mission has always been to fundamentally change how people go about starting new companies. And oh, that's, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cakewalk. Um, but, you know, we, we had some data uh, that Brad had found that really suggested that the reason new companies fail is oftentimes not related to their technology which is a little bit counterintuitive. You know, I had always thought, well, you know, if a company doesn't make it, it's because they don't have a good product. Right. But when you look at the data for the very high rate of failures in startups, you actually find that business causes are, are often the reason for failure. Things like mm -hmm. team dynamic issues or failure to execute, poor timing, poor due diligence on the product, um, just general management execution things. And when we started looking at that, we thought, well, you know, we're, we're pretty good with processes, and I think a lot of these things could be addressed by just having processes that are meant to help improve management execution from founders. Mm. And so that was kind of one of the, the starting ideas or um, theses that we had as we, as we started the company. And we wanted to think about, all right, how can we shape a process and provide tools for founders that will help them succeed? Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I joked a little bit, but uh, th this is a huge mission and, and uh, uh, really a real need, I think, uh, you know, being an angel investor and being in the startup space. I understand that uh, entrepreneurs, by definition, are not business people and, and they don't necessarily understand all of the behind the scenes kind of business things. So that, mm -hmm. you know, wanting to provide that is such key and such such an important thing. So how did you guys go about executing that um, before I, you started the first company in 2019? But that first year was essentially all planning and figuring out how to sort of get into this industry. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we started the company in November 2018 and held our first recruitment process in May and June of 2019. <clears throat> um, so, so we had about a six-month period or right. so there where we were getting our, our feet underneath us and setting things up. And I think what we realized very early on was that the business was going to kind of segment into a few silos. Uh, the first was ideation and due diligence. Basically, mm -hmm. the processes that we would use to find new companies and to vet which ones we wanted to pursue. And then we have our founders recruitment process. And one of the, one of the key ideas there was that the individual who has a business idea may or may not be the person who is best suited to lead that business. Right. And so, you know, as we thought about these two separately, we wanted to think about how can we find the best business ideas out there? Mm -hmm. And then separately, how can we find the best founders for those ideas? Mm. And I think in a traditional accelerator or incubator, those two are one and the same. You know, you right. get the entrepreneur and the idea as a package. We wanted to look at it separately. So those were the first two uh, kind of pillars of the company. And then the third is the uh, incubation process. You know, once we have the founders on board, what can we do to equip them with tools and processes and advisors necessary to address the causes of failure 
and really make sure that they're successful. So those first six months were all about, um, well, I guess technically setting up Launch Factory first. You know, we had right. to exit, you know, all these processes that we wanted our, our startups to do. We wanted to make sure that we were implementing them at Launch Factory as well. So there was a lot of just, you know, general tool building and process building for Launch Factory. Mm-hmm. And then we started digging into, okay, how can we define this due diligence process and how can we define the recruitment process? And in, in all three pillars, what we've, we've done, we've kind of gotten into an annual cycle of constant improvement. So in 2019, we came to the table with a process that selected our first company and our first founders and got them started with incubation. Right. And then in 2020, what we did after each of those processes, we have a look back. And that was something that uh, was very common at Chevron that I mm. kind of stole from there is, is a, something that I feel is a best practice. So after we finish any major effort, we will actually sit down in a multi-hour meeting and look at everything from the start of that process to the end of it and say, okay, what went well and what didn't? And we try to identify all the areas for improvement and things that can be iterated upon. And then we document all that, kind of circulate it with the team for final feedback, and then we use that and go and design the next generation of the process. Mm -hmm. So when we got to 2020, at that point, we were kind of on version two of our due diligence process and our recruitment process and our incubation process. And I think, you know, if you talk to Rupak, the CEO of our first company, and then compare notes with Yilan and Alex, the CEOs of our 2020 companies, um, I, I think they, they will quickly shed light on the idea that we made some big changes and big right. improvements. Right. And you know, now as we go into 2021, we're doing the same thing. You know, we, back in May, we did our look back on our founders recruitment process, captured mm-hmm. everything, went through a design process for that in August. Um, ideation and due diligence this year was kind of on, on version two. And uh, we will... Since we're just wrapping that up, it's look back. You know, we'll go through that look back and redesign process in December and January. And then incubation, that look back and design process will actually happen in February, March, April, so that when the new founders start June 1, we'll have everything in place there. So, Fantastic. So that's kind of our ongoing process. You know, we, we are never done with respect right. to these things that we're creating to try to make sure that we're doing all these areas correctly. Fantastic. So that I, I love the idea of, you know, V1, V2. You've gone through V1 in 2019, V2 in 2020. Now, 2021, the year that we're really going to focus on, you're on, at V3. So it's not like you're doing this for the first time. You've already done it two years in a row. Yeah. Now you're focusing, you, now you're just scaling up to four companies instead of one and two in the previous two years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So let's talk about the ideation process in a little more detail now. Um, I understand you guys start with, you know, 50 plus ideas and you sort of find ways to sort of narrow that down. Tell me what those filters look like and how you sort of go through that process. Yeah. So uh, to be honest, actually, we we generate more like 1400 uh, ideas. (laughs) Okay. Um, So so 50. There is a stage in the process where we have whittled it down to about that many, (laughs) and and it it is fair to say that probably only 50 to 70 start getting really deep looks. Uh, A lot of ideas are killed very early on. Mm -hmm. But some of the things that we we look for, I think our entire ideation and due diligence process is staged. And so the first thing we're looking at is the market. 
and we're saying, you know, do we believe that this market is large enough to be interesting? Uh, from a competitive standpoint, do we believe that there's some open space here? Do, do we see a sufficient amount of investment activity occurring mm. in this space to justify pursuit? And so we have a whole, a whole list of uh, kind of yes-no criteria at that very early stage where all we're doing is saying, you know, does this market make sense? Right. Once, once we kind of vet the market and we say, all right, you know, there could be something interesting here. Then we go in and we do um, what I would consider to be structured brainstorming. And so, so twice a week, for, for one hour twice a week, all of our team gets together and we go through uh, ideation sessions. And so Alessandro Rinaldi, who's our director of innovation, um, has put together a lot of this. But So he'll come in and give us a prompt about the, the market. And he'll say, okay, you know, here's the market we're dealing with, and here's a challenge that we think some people face in this. And so, you know, let's spend the next hour coming up with potential solutions or sometimes just identifying other opportunities or problems in the mm -hmm. space. And so we go through that process, and in any given session, we might generate, you know, 40 to 50 concepts. Yes. And the very next thing we do is what we call rapid screening. And so, so we take that list of 40 or 50 just from that session, and we basically say, you know, is this concept or the opportunity, um, is, it, is it novel and is it feasible? Mm -hmm. And do we think that customers want this? And those are just kind of a very high-level matrix that we drop everything in, and then we look and we say, okay, the things that are novel and feasible and, um, you know, desirable – we, we take those, and those move on to the next step of the process. Everything else falls away. And so I'd say, you know, probably maybe 40 out of 50 ideas just are, are done right off the bat. Wow. They might go back, and we pivot on them or discuss them further, but they don't immediately go into our funnel for further investigation. Got it. So the next step after that, once we, you know, as we start to build up this list of concepts that we felt were novel, is we will go through kind of a fine screening process where we look back at a lot of those same criteria that we used in the market stage, and we think about, okay, um, you know, is the TAM for this greater than a billion dollars? Do we believe that at year five we could achieve a $100 million exit? Um, do we believe that the financing model that we have for starting the companies can buy us the runway that we need to get to a second funding round for the company? And a lot of things that are, are like that and geared towards evaluating both the opportunity and whether or not Launch Factory is the appropriate party to right. pursue the opportunity. Um, I would say, you know, now we're getting down into the world where, where there's probably only 40 or 50 over the course of the year that start to pass those thresholds. Okay. <clears throat> and from there, uh, our research then branches into a combination of uh, essentially customer development or need validation, as well as more traditional secondary research that you do for a business plan. So we will go and find experts in the space and start doing interviews with them to understand and confirm that, okay, this need is real and right. it's there. We will go and survey customers and talk to customers and get their feedback so that we understand that, yeah, this, this is an actual market opportunity. It's a real problem that people have, and they're going to be willing to pay to solve it. Right. And then in parallel, we're doing things like market analysis, competitive analysis, uh, and all the various things that you might see in a traditional business plan just to understand the broader context of the opportunity. 
Got it. Okay. And so out of all of that, you know, then I would say, you know, maybe 10 to 15 ideas kind of make it to the very end of that process. Mm-hmm. And then all of the, the partners in Launch Factory, we kind of come, come and evaluate our entire due diligence package associated with each idea and compare and sort of take a vote on mm-hmm. which ones we're going to pursue. And that's how we come down to that final four. Got it. Okay. And throughout this process, so you said, you know, you you have obviously internal launch factory folks coming together. Are there external parties also involved in that? Uh, Tell me about, you know, all of the different uh, stakeholders that are involved. Yeah, there are there are a lot. And I also, you know, my description was really focused on our internal ideation process. We also, we have partnerships with university tech transfer offices, and we're building partnerships with some corporations that may have IP that they are unwilling to pursue because it doesn't fit with their base business, (laughs) but that might be very attractive to a startup, Uh, as well as, you know, we're always looking for instances of startups that may have failed due to execution or team dynamic issues, not Mm -hmm. due to a root cause with the market opportunity. And so there are some external channels that we're always scouting. And when we find those opportunities, we basically bring them in and slot them in right at that fine screening stage that I mentioned. And then they go through the rest of the due diligence process, the same as the concepts that we determine internally. So that's one external connection. The other external connections, I think, are you know those customer interviews and expert interviews that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have partners that we view as due diligence partners. You know, so if we're dealing with a technology in particular that may have some uh, need scientific evaluation, then right. we will go and engage with an expert that can come in and help us kick the tires on the technical side of that opportunity. Um, and we just we always want to try to get outside of our own team. You know, we recognize that. Uh, what's the phrase? Get out of the building. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, we we recognize that we should not always be the ones providing input into yep. this evaluation. So we try to solicit as much input as possible from external sources and experts to help round out our viewpoints. Fantastic, and this is such a important process that. I wish more entrepreneurs actually went through it before they started their company. It's hard and it's time yeah. consuming. You know, we, we put in over 200 person hours of due diligence on wow. each of the each of the concepts that make it to that final stage. Right. And so, you know, if that if you have a solo entrepreneur, it's just very challenging to, yeah. to put in that much time on the due diligence side. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's fantastic. So the ideation process is, you know, critical. And I think that's one of your secret sauces, as I like to <laughs> try to ident- identify in a company. But then the next phase is, okay, who is the right person to execute on mm-hmm. this idea? Um, so let's talk about that, the recruitment process and what that looks like and what you sort of hope to achieve through that. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I mentioned before, a big concept that we had was that the person with the idea and the person who's the best founder may not be the same. Yep. And so that's kind of why we, we bifurcated them. But then the, the next thought that we had was essentially that the tra- a traditional hiring process where you go through a series of um, you know, you review a resume, you go through a series of interviews and, and that sort of thing. Um, the evidence suggests that it's not always as reliable as one might hope. 
and it's really easy for, for bias and things to be introduced. And so what we wanted to do is, is really look at how do we evaluate exactly what a founder is going to truly be able to do once they're in the role. And what we arrived at uh, after kind of reviewing a variety of academic research is that we needed a multi-factor assessment. And in particular, we wanted to lean very heavily on the work sample side. So there is a concept in hiring called work sample tests where mm -hmm. you have a candidate come in and they produce a piece of work. And if you think about it, internships are yeah. kind of a really big work sample test and they have a very high conversion rate because if you work for some, or with someone for three months, one way or another, you're gonna get a good idea of what they're capable of and right. kind of how they, how they function in the office. So we designed a process that would step candidates through an initial set of assessments where we can look at some personality traits and things that um, research suggests may be correlated to performance in role. So these are things like cognitive ability, conscientiousness, grit. So we measure all of those things up front. And then out of that population of applicants, a certain set will proceed. In our, in our recruitment process, we have people um, go through the process in pairs. So for each of our companies, mm -hmm. we want a CEO and a COO or CTO, depending on the nature of the opportunity. Yep. And so after they've gone through that assessment, we will then um, have them pair up. And sometimes candidates come to us with a partner already in mind, and that's great. You know, they've worked with the person, they have background. Um, we, we definitely like that. Mm -hmm. But only about 15% or so of our candidates actually come to the table with a partner already in hand. Right. So the next step, uh, and this is actually like a two to three month long process, we try to facilitate candidates pairing and finding a potential co-founder. And so some of the ways that we do this, uh, and, and this is a big area for improvement this year, is uh, we will have each candidate fill out a uh, skills scorecard where they kind of self-assess, you know, I'm good in marketing, I'm not good in finance, I'm a software engineer, but I know nothing about business. Right. You know, right. I, I'm glossing over it. But, yeah. but the idea here is that we then show all of the candidates, they can search all of the different profiles of people. Oh, okay. And in your, in your profile, um, your results of your assessments will be shown, your skills scorecard are shown, your location, your role preference, your opportunity preference, all oh, of these okay. are made available. So if I'm a candidate looking for a partner, I can go on our website and say, okay, well, there's 500 other candidates here. I'm interested in opportunity B, so let me filter for that. And mm -hmm. I'm a COO, and I kind of know the tech side, so I really need a CEO. So let right. me filter for that. And quickly, I can get down to a list of people, and then I can start going through the assessments and the skill scorecards. And I can say, okay, who's going to be a good match for me? Right. Because what we've seen, particularly in 2019 and 2020, and I think this happens in organic teams outside of our process as well, people have a tendency to pair up with someone that's just like them. Exactly, yeah. And that leads to suboptimal results in our mm -hmm. in our opinion because you don't have the same breadth of skill coverage to cover all of the different things that need to be done in a startup. Yep. So we really encourage people to look at that skill card and you know find somebody that doesn't you know exactly match up with yep. you. Find someone whose skills complement you. Right. And so <clears throat> Um, they have all the profiles to search, and then we'll have events, uh, you know, little 
co-founder speed dating events and discussion <laughs> events where we bring them together and break them into small groups and ask them to talk about aspects of the opportunity that they're interested in. And these are all meant to get people talking to one another right. so that they have an opportunity to learn about the other candidates and pair up. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, sorry to cut you off, but th this is such an important thing that obviously in 2020, this was challenging because of what's going on in the world out there. But um, meeting people in person, having that moment that, you know, you can sort of look into someone's eyes and sort of be able to make that connection is important, especially in co-founder, because, you know, when you're co-founders, you're essentially planning on getting married, yeah. right? And you might be spending five <laughs> to 10 years together. So yeah. the idea is that th this is this might be considered dating phase, but um, you're sort of getting to know that person without the pressure of starting the company right off the bat, yeah. right? So you're, you're spending some time together. Um, that That's such a critical thing. Mm -hmm. um, so let's continue on the story. What's, what's sort of the next step? Yeah, so once they get paired up, um, then the actual recruitment process starts. Okay. And the way that works is it's generally six to eight weeks. I think in 2021, it'll be seven weeks. Okay. And it's a series of phases where these teams of two partners, each week is a phase, and they will be tasked with something that is relevant to being a founder for the opportunity that they're interested in. Mm. So in that first week, we will provide them a whole bunch of research from our due diligence. And we say, okay, you know, we want you to come back with a market analysis and an early brand package. Right. And then the next week, and so, well, then we evaluate everything. Some teams are eliminated. And the teams that move forward, um, the next week we say, okay, we want you to think about an ideal customer persona and an initial product definition for how you would address the, the market opportunity that's been outlined. And so they produce a product definition. And the technical co-founder in that phase, you know, he's out there producing, uh, or she, is out there producing wireframes. And, you know, right. starting to think about, okay, what is the product actually going to look like? Next phase, they go and they do a go-to-market strategy. How are you going to acquire customers? What are you going to do in your first year? Um, you know, how are you going to price things? What's your revenue model? And the technical person, they're expanding on those wireframes and saying, okay, well, here's a uh, functional prototype. And, right. and, you know, in Proto.io, something very simple, but something yeah. where they can click through and we get a good vision of what it is that they're actually planning to build. Yep. And then, uh, let's see, your phase after that, they go and they do draft financials and a project plan. And the technical person is starting to build on that uh, functional proto or that clickable demo and start moving towards a functional prototype. Right. And then in the very final phase, the three teams that are remaining, uh, they produce a final draft business plan and a final functional prototype of the product. Mm -hmm. And then they, they pitch a panel of VCs that we assemble. Mm. and give a one-hour pitch on the, their vision for the company. And the VCs help us review that pitch, and we go through all the data and look at all of their performance throughout the entire process, and that's how we make that ultimate selection of who the founders will be. Fantastic. I, I love the, first of all, I love the survival um, uh, sort of <laughs> mi mindset where we're starting with a lot of companies, but we're only going to select one. So, yeah. you know, you're going down. So the pressure is increasing on the entrepreneurs and you've given them the idea. Now the you're essentially forcing them to make it their own, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a broad mandate and now find your lane and see uh, see how you can execute on that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that has often come up when people ask about Launch Factory, there's this perception that 
being an entrepreneur is really challenging, which right. is very true. But there's a perception that unless the idea is yours, you could never be passionate enough um, you know, to, to stick it out through all the ups and downs of right. entrepreneurship. And, and there's a little bit of truth to that. And, and that's why we've designed our process to be eight weeks long. Because during these eight weeks, the candidates are working at least 10 hours per founder per week on all of these work samples mm-hmm. for eight weeks. So by the end of this, you know, they are very emotionally invested in, right. in the outcome of this. And they've developed their passion. And, and I truly believe that passion can come from working hard on something. You know, if you work hard on something and you're thinking about the future potential for that concept and this idea that, you know, you're building a business, it's kind of your baby, um, you will be passionate about that. And it it doesn't matter if you happen to be the person who came up with the original idea. The passion comes from the work. Right. And, um, you know, we've designed the process to force a degree of work and really put people through kind of a pressure cooker where if they are not passionate, they won't make it to the Right. Right. No, that's that's fantastic. And yeah, I, I almost feel like in the eight weeks, your job is to really weed out all of the, you know, people who may not fit the criteria 100 percent and get down to that winner. But I feel like the entrepreneur's job in those eight weeks is to really make the idea their own yeah. and to develop that passion. Is that Does that sort of capture it? Absolutely. And, you know, obviously they, they are also trying to demonstrate to us that they have a good strategic vision for right. the company. But, but they are building their passion. And the other thing that's kind of happening under the table is that in certain phases we will – ask for more work than can reasonably be delivered in a week's time. And and we do that a little bit intentionally. And the reason why is that we want to create situations that are stressful enough for the team that it mm-hmm. will precipitate founder conflicts. Right. Um, because we do, we have about 20% of teams that sort of just blow up in the middle of the process. Right. Uh, and I think that that's true in, you know, outside of our process as well. There are a lot of businesses that fail due to founder conflicts and differences in founder viewpoints. Mm. And we want to precipitate those failures before, uh, you know, we ultimately select the, the participants, yeah, I mean, that, the founders. That, that's such a fantastic uh, thing, again, because uh, that, that founder conflict is absolutely real. When you have two co-founders, you know, a lot of times initially they're the best friends, and six months later they, they don't <laughs> want to talk to each other. Yeah, right? and it's because it's a stressful environment. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges, and we want to create some of that stress up front to, to precipitate those failures. Absolutely. So th- this is fantastic. So let's, at, at the end of the six to eight weeks, now you've gone through the selection process. You've narrowed down to one team, essentially two entrepreneurs that are going to be the co-founders of this new company that uh, that they're forming. Mm-hmm. What does the incubation process look like? So that third phase, um, and how do you support them going forward? T- t- talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So once we have the founders selected, you know, the very first thing we do is just form the company legally, because right. up to this point, the company actually doesn't exist. It's just, an idea. It's just on paper. Right. Um, so we form the company. We invest 300k in seed capital. The founders get 66 percent. We take 33 percent. Um, and then we give them office space for up to two years. So there's about a month from the time that the recruitment process is done until the founders join. And the first thing that we do in the incubation process is focus on strategy and customer development. 
And the reason that we do that is that, well, and I'm sure you know, once you're actually operating as a business and you're serving customers, you get into this situation where you're very busy. And, you know, you end up where you are always working in the business and not on the on business. The business yeah. When we first form the company, we feel that we have this unique window in time when we do not have the immediate pressure of serving customers and building the product. And we can do nothing but focus on the strategy. Mm-hmm. What is it that we should be doing? And are we convinced that this is the correct thing? Right. The other thing is that, you know, while we will identify the market opportunity in due diligence and loosely outline a proposed solution, what we see is that in that process of recruitment where the founders are making the idea their own, they're almost always, the concept drifts a little bit Mm -hmm. from where we originally defined. And we like that. That's good. You know, that's part of them taking ownership of it. But so, you know, in that initial phase, now we need to look at that and say, okay, all that due diligence that we did previously, with what part's applicable and what part's not, and do we have some gaps? So we have a whole checklist of, of things that we go through and we say, you know, can we, um, you know, do we understand exactly who the customer is and how to target them and how to segment them from a broader population? Right. Um, you know, do we understand what the key features of the product need to be in order to address the, uh, the core need? a whole checklist of those things and we say okay how many of these do we still have open questions and if we have open questions then we go and go through customer development and so the founders go out and they'll do you know 50 60 customer interviews and we have kind of a a regimented process for note taking in that that allows us to then compile all of those notes and extract findings and so that's helping them really understand um the exact nature of the customer need that they're trying to address Mm -hmm. as well as understand who their customer is whether the customer is willing to pay and what product it is that they need to give to them right in the meantime in parallel the the strategy portion of the process is that we're using something called okrs which is a process used by google and a lot of other companies is kind of made famous in a book called measure what matters Mm -hmm. but it stands for objectives and key results And so we will work with the founders to set their annual objectives and really think through, okay, what is it that we're trying to accomplish by month three, by month six, by month 12, and kind of map out at a high level. Obviously, it's going to change, but we want to map out at a high level what are those major strategic objectives that if we mess up everything else, what do we have to get right? Right. And so then we, we document those and get them set up on a tracking system where every week we're looking at the OKRs in our core team meeting and we're saying, okay, you know, which OKRs are due in the next three months? What's our primary focus right now? And we're talking about what we need to do to stay on track to deliver against those. And then when three months goes by, we go back to that same OKR spreadsheet and we score it. And we say, okay, right. how did we do? Sometimes we do well, sometimes we don't. <laughs> right. now, that's normal. But the process of setting that strategy and looking at it and tracking it is a big part of executing well And that, Absolutely. You know, as far as our philosophy goes. So that's the first three months is all customer development and strategy. Fantastic. Yeah. As we get beyond that, we start moving into more of an execution phase. Okay. So this is where you know our um, 
entre now entrepreneur in residence, previously strategic advisor, Andy Ballister, the CTO and co-founder of GoFundMe. Okay. You know, this is where he will come in and start talking with teams and we'll go through, you know, he's done a product boot camp where he talks to them about, okay, you know, now you know, you know what problem you're trying to solve and you know kind of what the product is going to look like. How do you actually go and truly design it? Yeah. And so we go through a process of figuring out, okay, these are all the, the customer flows and key use cases. And, uh, you know, then we go through a Figma mock-up and prototyping design stage. And then we go and we actually build it. And eventually we launch that pre-MVP. And the goal is by month six, uh, I think with OmniSync it was month five, with Simply Independent and Productified, it'll be actually towards the tail end of month five. But by month six, at the latest, we want to have that initial MVP in the market mm -hmm. and be collecting revenue. And okay. so this is where you know we're really trying to demonstrate, did we do everything correctly before and do we have product market fit? Right, right, right. That, I, I think the entire process is fantastic because the OKRs sort of help you stay on track and that's what a lot of entrepreneurs miss out on. Uh, they sort of, you know, when you start a new company, you get pulled in a thousand different directions. And if you lose that focus, you can drift very easily. So I'm, I'm really excited that you guys use that system. But um, more importantly, throughout the six months, you're sort of supporting the company throughout the process. Yeah. So that really justifies the, the, the equity stake that you're taking in, in the company, um, and not in addition to just giving them office space or giving them legal mm -hmm. advice or accounting back, uh, accounting back office support. Um, that's great, and that's easy, but uh, actually helping the company execute on their mission I think that's the real uh, sort of, again, secret sauce, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we view ourselves as a third co-founder. Yep. And, and we actually split the equity three ways. Exactly. Two co-founders and then us. And yep. everybody gets 33%. And so part of that role as co-founder, you know, in the, in the first month, um, you know, Brad and I are spending 10 plus hours per week right. with, the, with the founders. Um, you know, by the time you get to month three, which, you know, we're in month five right now with our 2020 companies, I would say I'm currently spending total across the three companies six to 10 hours a week. Um, and, and the things that I'm doing, you know, I, in my role as COO, I'm often working with the COO of the new company. Brad right. Brad works more with the CEOs. Right. We both work with with each of them. But some of the things that I will focus on with them is um, you know, are you do you have robust uh, program management techniques in place? Do we have a project plan? Are we tracking right. things? Uh, when we go through the product design process, I'm kind of uh, working with Andy as well and helping go through the product flows and saying, okay, does this make sense? Does that make sense? Right. Um, financial modeling is another area that I've done a lot in the past. And so mm -hmm. we give them a big financial model and I help them go through and figure out, okay, what is your spend over the incubation period? Yep. And what does that imply for your runway? What does it imply for when you're going to need to raise funds? What does it tell you about what's possible from a product development standpoint in the short term? Yeah. Uh, so all of those operational execution areas are where I try to stay you know, very hands-on with each of our teams. 
Right. Fantastic. So now let's uh, continue the story forward because now I want to talk about 2021 and what you guys are trying to do, launching four fact, uh, four companies. And uh, it's it's now you're sort of increasing the difficulty exponentially. So I'm guessing that you're putting a lot of uh, <laughs> systems in place to sort of manage for that. Plus, you're obviously building out the system. So Talk to me about what the next 12 months for Launch Factory looks like. Yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, we're expanding to four companies next year. And we may hold for a year or two at four companies and really make sure that we can get all of our execution going very smoothly before we go above four companies. Yep. But some of the things that we're doing for next year, um, in terms of the recruitment process, you know, we spend two days a week uh, previously doing nothing but evaluating submissions. And so um, one of the thing, one of the big challenges as we go from having, uh, you know, 222 accepted candidates last year to ideally 600 accepted candidates this year. Right. I'm like, okay, what am I going to (laughs) do with all these submissions? How am I going to staff this? And so so what we've done is we've looked at that whole process of judging and said, okay, you know, how can we kind of triage this in such a way that we go through a rapid evaluation and then go through a more detailed evaluation for teams that are on on the border, that sort of thing. We've also, all of our recruitment process, we've now automated everything so that, um, you know, from the moment a person gets on our website and starts signing up, everything about processing their application other than the actual final evaluation of the results and the decision Mm-hmm. All of it is automated. All of the emails, all of the reminders, everything Fantastic. is done automatically. Um, moving beyond that, you know, when we get beyond the FRP, one of the big challenges that we'll be addressing this year is how do we scale that incubation? You know, if Brad and I are spending six to ten hours a week, five months in with three companies, right? Um, you know, we're rapidly going to run out of time. Yeah, with, exactly. with seven companies. <laughs> You only have 24 hours in a day. <laughs> yeah, so so that's an area that we're actually kind of starting to work with our, our new partner, Kim King, on. Uh, okay. You know, she'll be looking very – she's, A, an experienced venture capital um, yep. general partner, as well as um, she's had a lot of experience in incubators like Evo Nexus and uh, Radies Star R at yep. UCSD. And so she, she's been in a position before where she's looked at whole portfolios of companies and thought about, okay, what processes do we need to put in place to help these companies succeed? And so we'll be working with her very closely over the next few months to think about, all right, given our processes now, what changes do we need to make uh, from an advisory staffing standpoint? You know, maybe it's not me acting as a COO coach. Maybe we get a COO advisor who's going to come in and do what I've been doing. Uh, So how do we kind of bring in those additional advisors as well as shape our processes and our sort of founder training to be scalable? And so that that's a you know a big area of work that's going to occur over the next three months is getting everything in place for that so that in June when the founders get here we're going to be good to go and ready, ready yeah, yeah. and we'll have exactly that process that they need. Fantastic, fantastic. And I know we're working backwards, but I, I also want to talk about ideation for 2021. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and have you selected the four industries that you're going to focus on? You don't You don't have to give away the secret sauce, but I just want to see if we can get some hints out of you. Uh, we, so we have um, gone through the evaluation and down-selected to, uh, I'll go ahead and say to five. Okay. Um, two of those are, are set. 
Um, there are the other three uh, will be down selected to two. Okay. And what the reason why we haven't made that final down selection is that there is a, an external dependency with a, a third party that has some proprietary IP that one of the mm. concepts would be based off of. Interesting. And we want to go through the full process of evaluating that IP and understanding what that licensing and partnership would look like before we make that final down select. But we are, you know, we're in the very final stages at this point. And so Fantastic. what we are targeting is that, you know, sometime in November, uh, investors will hear from us. They're going to get a sneak peek. It may only be may a week's advance notice, but they're right. going to get a sneak peek about what the concepts will be. And then, um, you know, in the latter two weeks of, of November, we will put our opportunity decks on our website. And the opportunity decks are just kind of a designer PowerPoint that we use to present the market opportunity and the high-level solution and it's it's primarily geared towards candidates because we're trying to explain mm -hmm. to them which opportunities they can choose from yeah. and we're also talking to them a little bit about okay what skill sets are are really going to be needed for a right. successful team in this area and when we do that that will also coincide with when we open applications and um, that'll kick off our application period and it'll run through end of february so for okay. for our 2021 due diligence you know we are we're right on the edge of, of wrapping it up perfect all right that's great uh thank you so much for coming on today and sharing uh, all of the sort of the inner workings of launch factory with me i really appreciate your time and appreciate all of the information you shared with us of course well thank you for having me i enjoyed it Fantastic. Thank you so much for watching that interview. Uh, if you have any questions for James or for any of the interviews for Launch Factory, my email address is on screen. Feel free to get in touch with me uh, and I'll be happy to answer any questions myself or get you the answer from Launch Factory. If you want to get in touch with James or any of the folks at Launch Factory, their contact information is also uh, on the page. So you can just scroll down and uh, you'll be able to access that. Um, and I welcome you to also connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, having said all of that, the next interview in the series is with Kimberly King. Um, Kim is amazing. Uh, she's the newest addition to the Launch Factory family. Um, and uh, the interview is uh, uh, pretty awesome. And it also has a lot of detail um, about the company and about the strategy that they're following. So I welcome you to go to the next video and uh, uh, check out Kimberly. Thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next one.